family and guests, good to see you. My name is Eric Harris. I say that because it's been a hot minute. Uh, you guys chose to have me back, foolishness or whatever, I don't know. I say that if you don't know, uh, I've been on sabbatical for the past two months, so I haven't been here. Uh, now, sabbatical is a weird term. You've probably never had a sabbatical. I get that. Uh, and you're probably thinking, man, Eric got a two-month vacation, and it's not exactly what it was. Uh, it was a time to, yes, vacation like rest and relax, uh, but I spent two months wrestling with God, uh, just one-on-one in my own relationship with him. And I was very appreciative for it. And God, in that time, revealed a lot of stuff to me, revealed selfishness, pride, ego that I had to deal with, especially with my wife and her injured knee and what I thought should be happening in my sabbatical and what actually took place in in the sabbatical time. And it's amazing. Everything I planned got blown up. And the Lord did that uh, to teach me something. And so I I just want to tell you, I don't want to make this whole sermon about me, but I just want to say, uh, man, I want to thank you for letting me have that time. And God really has refilled me up. I've been in the last two weeks excited, chomping a bit to get back, but as best I can, trying to enjoy it and not think about what's going on here. Uh, And I'm very grateful for people who stepped up. I I have no doubt staff and elders and deacons and other leadership have stepped up in my absence and and just fulfilled roles that they're not normally doing. And, And I'm very grateful for that. Uh, and I, I'm going to tell you right now, I have no idea what's been going on with this church. <laughs> uh, people have asked, I have no idea. This is my, literally my first day back. I have not been in contact with anyone. Uh, just saying, as much as I want to know, there's part of me is like, this is God's church. It's not built around me. I trust it. And, and you guys don't need me to survive. And so uh, if you're curious about what I think about stuff, I have no idea. Uh, I'll find out tomorrow what's been going on. I, I will say thank you to all who gift wrapped my office and saran wrap and tinfoil. Um, <laughs> You guys can show me afterwards to clean it up because it took me like 30 minutes just to unwrap my pins so I could work on my sermon this morning. Uh, Thank you for that. And whoever gift wrapped my toilet paper in the bathroom with saran wrap, man, the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, Yeah, you guys had a little too much fun with that. So uh, I have ideas on who is going to, we're going to talk, we're going to talk later. I'll just say that, so. Uh, It's good to be back. I'd love if you guys want to chat later. I'd be more than happy to share about my experience, what's going on. I don't want to take this whole time, but I just want to to show a shout-out and and just gratitude for that. And in case you're wondering, there there was not something that was wrong. This was not because something was going on. This was prescribed way before I was hired. This is what the church wanted. Uh, You you don't start exercising eating healthy after you have a heart attack. You do it before for preventative measures, and that's what this was. And so I did not go into this about to fry, quit, and just give up. It it was just a way to ensure a longevity in ministry. And so I I just thank you for that in case there was any curiosity with that. So um, all that to be said, I did want to share. Yes, it's Christmas season. Sleepwalking does not seem like a Christmas series. It's not. And I felt like it was uh, uh, just the Lord had laid on my heart this time just to share what God had done in me. And maybe God may want to do the same in you. Uh, Maybe God can use my experience to wake you up to something. Uh, And so it's titled Sleepwalking. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation chapter 3. If that scares you because I said Revelation, don't worry. We're not getting that deep in the weeds on it. If you have no idea what that means, you're in good company, okay? Uh, Just open up the very end of your Bible and Revelation chapter 3 will be there in a minute. Uh, but But I titled this sermon Sleepwalking. I want to ask you real quick, have you ever seen someone sleepwalk before? You ever seen that? If you have, real quick with the person next to you, give them a head nod. Yeah, you can, if you can real quickly share your experience of, of sleepwalking. Uh, if you are the person that sleepwalk, 
That's a weird experience when you come out of it. If you've seen someone sleepwalk, it is terrifying the same part seeing someone sleepwalk. So take a quick second, and I want to share a story of mine. Just, just out of my, my pure curiosity, I, I'm just curious. If, if any of you have ever sleptwalked or seen someone sleepwalk before, would you raise your hand just to get an idea? Okay, it's more common than I expect. Okay. If not, this is going to be awkward that I'm the only one that's experienced this. Uh, it, for me, I, I have both sleptwalked and I have seen someone sleepwalk before. When, when I was a kid, I remember I, don't, I remember us eight, nine, ten years old, somewhere in that range. Uh, we're at my grandma, Grandma Curry's house in West Texas. And uh, I, I remember going to sleep, and uh, I remember waking up with my mom uh, asking for a, uh, a belt to spank me. And I was like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? I mean, that will wake you up and whatever's going on. Come to find out, in between, I had woken up, walked in a room where my family was, and I told my mom, I said, I'm feeling sick. And she's like, well, go to the bathroom. And I said, I'm feeling sick. And I just, I began to throw up everywhere and on people and stuff. And they're like, what is wrong with this kid? And they take me in there, and I'm like, oh. And about the time my mom grabbed the belt, I woke up and realized something was not normal. It was a terrifying experience on my end. I, I thought they made it all up until I saw my brother do a similar thing. When he was little, we went on a family trip uh, to a lake, and we were at this lake house, and we're all staying in this room. And, and my brother, in the middle of the night, he's only like three, four, five years old, gets up, walks to the closet, and turns on the light. And, and my dad sits up and goes, Jonathan, what are you doing? And he goes, i got to go pee, can't you tell, and just starts peeing in the closet. Uh, he's not here today, so I can say whatever I want. And so it's like, we're like, what is going on? I, I don't know if you've ever had a weird situation like that. Um, th those, I'll admit, are a bit extreme and a bit more apparent when it happens. Uh, but, but some people can actually function and sleepwalk at the same time. I actually experienced this in my life whenever we had Addie, our, our first child, and we were sleep-deprived. And my wife uh, was feeding throughout the nights, and she would wake me up to go and get Addie, bring her back in, let her feed, take her, change her, whatever, and bring her back. And there was more than one occasion she would tell me, she said, thank you so much for getting Addie. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, you? and she told me all this stuff, and I said, I don't remember any of that. And here's the thing, you laugh about that, but holding a child like that, it scared me to death to the point that we started taking shifts. I'm like, when I'm out I'm out. So from now on, I will take the midnight to 3 a.m. shift, and you take the 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. shift. And so I would just stay up every night until 3 a.m. until my shift was done and go to sleep because I was so scared of what if I did something in my sleep that I was not aware of. It could have been very dangerous in something like that. I, I tell you that in connection to my pre-sabbatical, uh, what was going on in me. While ministry was going strong and I had my full intention, I think there were many aspects of my faith that I found I was just sleepwalking through it. I become so routine and so accustomed to doing things for so many years that it was just natural rhythms that kind of become empty. 
You see, I graduated in 2004 from high school, which I just separated the room completely. Some of you think, oh, man, he's just a baby. And others, you think, man, he is old. I'm okay with either one of those. But I graduated in May of 2004 and started my first student ministry in August. I was seventh, or just turned 18 years old when I started my first student ministry. And coming up on 20 years, I have nonstop been doing ministry. Every church I've gone from, one to, there was no gap in between. So every week I've been doing some sort of pouring in, teaching of some sense for, for 20 years. I've never had a stoppage where I've just stopped, not thought about other people in a sense, and just focused on myself to the point of where my walk with God, I was sleep walking through it. In sabbatical, I feel like God called me and told me to wake up because I need you to snap out of it. And and we're going to Revelation because there's a church that dealt with a very similar thing that God called their attention to wake up. And if they do, what happens? And if they don't, what happens? And I want to look at the scripture today and just pray that if you find yourself in a similar situation where you are just falling in a habit routine of walking through your faith, maybe it's time to wake up. Half of y'all just looked up. We'll do about six more times in a sermon to get you going. So Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Uh... If you've ever had trouble with Revelation, that's okay. We're not going to dig deep into the weeds on all that's going on, okay? Uh, we're going to use this to understand what's going on to them and apply it to us if we can. So Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we have a letter written by John to a church from the Lord. It's prophetic in nature. Prophet, prophecy means a word from the Lord to a specific people or person. A prophet is someone who delivers that. John is being prophetic here and giving them, this church, a word from him to the specific church about the situation going on with them. So let's read what happens. It says, write to the angel of the church in Sardis. Thus says the one who has seven spirits of God and seven stars. I I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Like, be alert and strengthen what remains which is about to die. For For I've not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. And if you are not alert, I will come like a thief. And you will have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes. They they walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes. I will never erase his name from the book of life. But will acknowledge his name before my father, before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear... Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, now, there's a lot of symbolism going on in here, and we can try the best we can interpret by using other scripture. Okay, And the best we can do is guess at that, unless scripture makes it clear, this is what this stuff means. And Paul's, or sorry, John's writing this letter to a church, uh, actually seven different churches throughout these texts, of stuff going on specific with them. And this church is starting, he's like, hey, there's something going on. This is a real act of church. Imagine John coming here today and say, hey, North Point, God has told me something, and he wants you to know this. If you don't listen, bad things are going to come. But if you, if you will do what God says, man, God will restore what was going on here. I need you to listen. And so he uses some stuff uh, uh, to explain what's going on in the church here. And ultimately, he comes, and I'm just going to summarize it like this, my big idea. He, he's saying this, wake up before it's too late. But like, wake up, snap out of it. You've been sleepwalking, it's time to come to and start living as I've called you to be. Take a closer look at this church in verse 1 and see what's going on. It says, write to the angels of the church in Sardis. What what is he talking about? A letter written to an angel? I mean, 
I think I'm okay, but I'm not an angel up here, am I? Like, I mean, what, what's wrong with our church? We don't have an angel being taken in. Uh, most people believe in this. The word for in the Greek for angel also means messenger. To the messengers is what they think. It's most likely to the pastors, the leaders of the church he's trying to get to. He's trying to get their attention. He says, listen, I want you guys to hear what I have to say. Now, now you might say, well, who is Sardis? It's modern-day Western Turkey, if you want to get perspective. They were wealthy. They, they were a powerful people, but they were careless. They, they had a false sense of security because of where they were located. I think we have pictures. Uh, put up a picture right here. So this is Sardis right here, and up on the top is their main village where they have. They had a 1,500-foot solid just drop-off wall, and there was one way in, one way out, and there was no other way. And because of that, people had this false sense of security that, that their, their location was impregnable. They could, no one could get there. No one could come and get them. And so they just found this lull of the soft sense of comfort and slept walk through life to the point that they uh, just became uh, careless in what they did. Uh, you can see here modern renderings of what they think it looked like. And so you have this church here that is very lackadaisical. They've been careless, and it's, it's, it's trickled down to the church. And he says, uh, thus says the one who has seven spirits of God and seven stars. What, what a weird statement. Seven spirits, some believe, refer to the sevenfold ministry of the spirit, which you see in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, talks about the different roles the spirit has. Uh, it can mean different things as well. Ultimately, it represents the fullness of the spirit. The seven stars, again, weird language. But if you go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, it says this. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are angels of the seven churches. And seven lampstands are the seven churches. So he's like, I'm talking about the one who holds it all in his hand. Ultimately, the big picture is saying this. It represents Christ's control and authority. Like the, the one who's telling you this is the one who has control and authority of your church. And, and you need to listen. The, the boss is back in. You need to listen to what he says. He, he's calling up commands now. And he says this in the second part, which I think is interesting. He says, and this is, this is what got me. He says, I know your works. You, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. In other words, he's saying this. He said, a church that Jesus called dead, people had seen it as being a live and active church. Everyone's like, man, that is the church to go to. Sardis has it down, man. They know what's going on, that that's what we should go after. He's like, everyone looks at your church and thinks that God is part of it and alive. He looks at you and thinks the same thing, but the realization is you are dead. And in your sleep, walking through your faith. I, let me ask you the same thing I had to ask myself. Does this describe you. Does this describe North Point? When people see us, do they think you have the reputation of being on fire for God or being a follower of God, being a church of God? But the reality is that, that that's, that's long been the past. Your pursuit of the Lord has dimmered. It has, has quit going. It just has stopped. You see, sometimes reputation doesn't always reflect reality, does it? Did, did you know did you know uh, that the, um, the nearest stars in our galaxy are trillions and trillions of miles away? Did, did you know that? As a matter of fact, scientists, to measure the distance of these stars, came up with a term called uh, speed of light. 
to, to measure it because playing in miles was so far away. So to give you perspective, the speed of light uh, travels at 160,000 miles per second is how fast the speed of light goes. 168,000 miles per second or 671 million miles per hour. You say, why am you telling me this? If you think about the sun, if the sun burned out right now, do you realize it would take 8.3 minutes before we even realize it quit burning? In other words, eight minutes ago, the sun could quit, but yet when we look at the side, we still see a sun burning and still going, but it's long been dead. As a matter of fact, scientists say the nearest star in our galaxy burned out, if it burned out today, it would take 4.2 years before we realize it was gone. Some scientists say believe that when you look out in the sky today, many of the stars you see today have long been gone. And then the reality is, for some of us, it's the same way. What we see today is not what is active, but it's an afterglow of what was. And they're looking at us and saying, man, you look so alive, things look so great, and the reality is inside, like, man, that, 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 that ember is gone. Is that what we see in you? You see, when he looks at the church of Sardis, the people were apathetic. That they were complacent, that they lacked interest, enthusiasm, concern, that they are sleepwalking through their faith. I, I, I became comfortable in my routine, and routine is good. You can see all through Scripture, God wants us to have routine. But when routine becomes empty, when we cease to hunger for the God behind the routine, it becomes worthless. Well, God can revive anything. He, he doesn't do it without our willingness, our humbleness, our desire. This is a call. Wake up. Snap out of it. Look at yourself. Examine yourself to see what's going on. Like, what is going on in yourself? And so how do you bring back life? Look at verse 2 through 3. He says several things. He says, first and foremost, he says, be alert. Wake up. In other words, he's saying, check yourself. Look at yourself. This word be alert comes from a Greek word that means to become. He says, understand what you are becoming. Notice what you are going to. Look at what you're doing, what you're becoming. Some of us lack the realization to look at ourselves and take an honest assessment of what's going on. Did you know that when the Titanic hit the iceberg and began to sink, it was struck? And the captain went around and began to tell everyone that everything was okay, go back to your cabin, things are fine. They say many lives could have been saved if they had taken seriously at the moment the impact would happen. But instead, they said, this thing is unsinkable. There's nothing to worry about. Everyone's okay. And his first thing is be alert. Wake up. Check yourself. Look at yourself and say, hey, what's going on in me? This means I need to do an honest assessment of the damage in my life and say, man, what, what's going on in me? And what really have I allowed to infiltrate my life? He says in here, some at the church of Sardis have not defiled themselves, have not given in to sin and allowed these petty things to infiltrate their life. He says, but many have. This means we need to be honest with ourselves. I love, what does he say about Jesus? Jesus said this, I know. I know your work. You can fool a lot of people here. You can fool yourself. But the reality is God's like, you're not fooling me. One thing God worked in me was in my prayer. It's amazing how you can become so empty ritualistic in those. Lord, bless the food to the nourishment of my body as I eat this horrible food, right? You start throwing out statements and comments. 
as I began to pursue the Lord in prayer, I began to realize how awkward it was and how clunky it was and realized, man, God, I really haven't talked to you in a long time. It's been a one-sided phone call. It means you need to know what's dragging you down. Look at your life and say, what are the things that are entangling me? What are the things that are taking you down? Do you know in the ocean there's a thing called riptide? A riptide is where water comes in and underneath it pulls back in certain locations that are so such a strong current that you can't see at the surface level. As a matter of fact, riptides in oceans near the, the beach and stuff can, can attain speeds of 8 feet per second. That, that's faster than any Olympic swimmer can swim. They, they say that more people die in Florida than from, uh, from, die from, in Florida from riptide than shark attacks, hurricanes, tornadoes, and lightning combined. Because more people go out there completely under, unaware of what's on the surface, dragging them away. When they try to swim against it, they, they can't do it. And the reality is some of us need to look at ourselves and say, what, what are the things that are dragging me away from the Lord? And I need to say, listen, I, it needs to stop now. So he says, be alert. Wake up, check yourself. The second thing he says is not that. He says, strengthen. Remember, look at verse two, uh, 2. He says, strengthen what remains. Verse 3 says, remember it. He's saying this, go back to the basics. Go back to the basics. It has the imagery of blowing embers back to life. Like you have these embers, this fire's about to go out. And he's like, blow on those flames and get it going back to life. I used to love watching a show called Man vs. Wild with Bear Grylls which I've come to learn is just a lunatic running around trying to show you what not to do, but looks cool. I mean, the guy's eating random things. He's, like, drinking his own urine. Like, if you've got to survive, I'm like, dude, I'll just die. I ain't, there's a point I just don't do. But the one thing that he would always go to is this, is when, when you're in the wilderness, one of the first things you do is get a fire going for survival so you can have it. It brings life. It gives warmth. It provides food. It provides shelter. It provides protection. You need to get a fire going. And he's saying the same thing here. Like, listen, Remember, go back, like get the embers going of what first brought you to me. Fire is vital to survival. And he says, go back to what you received in the beginning. What, what is he referring to? It's the call to grace. It's the call to relationship with God. What brought you here in the first place? It, it, hopefully, it's because of what Jesus Christ did in my life. It astonishes me and myself about how easy it is to do ministry, and that's my motivation, and yet the whole time I neglect my relationship with Christ. I lose the fact it's my salvation is what brought me here. It's my relationship what's brought me here. A church can become much more attracted to the ministries than to God himself. And sometimes we got to go back to the basics. God, I need to learn how to talk to you again. God, I need to learn just to read my Bible. I need to learn to confess my sins as I did in the beginning when it meant something rather than sugarcoat it and call it nothing. It's time to wake up, to come back to that relationship. You see this in marriages at times. You can be married for so long and come to a point that you forget about the relationship. You're so comfortable just being in a marriage that you forget how to, how to just talk to one another. Emily and I had a trip uh, to Madison, Wisconsin over Thanksgiving. And we're driving the car. We married 17 years. Again, for some of you, that's, that's just a drop in the bucket. For some of you, that seems like forever. And we're driving the car, and we're getting there. And we, our, our marriage is good. But you know what? We're sitting there the whole time. We, we're having trouble talking, but small talk. We agreed we're not going to talk about church stuff. And it's like, what do we talk about? 
And we were kind of laughing at like how awkward it was just to have this small talk conversation, but it was also a realization that while we don't say our marriage is bad, like, listen, this is long term, this is not good. We we gotta go back to the basic of just what it's like to have a basic relationship with one another, to love one another. And and sometimes we neglect on that with God. We we get so focused on being the Martha and doing all the stuff that God that we think needs to be done. Do we forget what it's like to be merry and just sit at the feet of God and enjoy his presence? And for some of you, that, that's what you need, to go back to the basics. The third thing he says in verse 3, look what he says. He says, remember it, and he says, I love, keep it. Keep, keep it, J- just do it. In other words, put into practice what I placed into you. Like, like you, you received the gospel, you received grace, start living. When you read the Bible, start doing what it says. You know what the difference between orthodoxy and orthopraxy is? Orthodoxy is a big word that means this, right thinking. Orthopraxy is right practice. That They are both important, but sometimes at church we get so fixated on orthodoxy, having the right doctrine, the right way of thinking, that we completely neglect what it looks like to have orthopraxy and put the right practice into play. And when we don't, when we practice orthodoxy, right thinking, and making sure I know the stuff and I have all this head knowledge, but we don't put it into practice, can I tell you what it is? It's simply useless knowledge. But like, let me give you an example of useless knowledge. Here's some stuff you may not know. Did you know that Cookie Monster's real name is Sid? Did you know that? What a terrible name for Cookie Monster. I don't know, I'd never look at that guy the same again. Did you know that carnivorous animals will not eat another animal that has been struck by lightning? Fact, do something with that. In Oklahoma, understand this, in Oklahoma, people who make ugly faces at dogs may be fined or jailed. If you look at my dog funny and make a face, I will put you in prison. Do you understand that? It is also illegal to hunt whales in the state of Oklahoma. Fact, (laughs) fact, don't do it. Did you know that the phrase rule of thumb is derived from old English law, which stated that you couldn't beat your wife with anything wider than your thumb? Don't do that. (laughs) Why am I telling you this? Because that is useless knowledge. It might be interesting to you, but listen, you're going to leave this place and never do anything with it. It is useless. And until we start reading God's word, hearing this idea of grace and gospel and saying, what do I do with this? How do I live it out? Listen, you, you, you are wasting your time. You might be the smartest Christian you know, but you don't know Christ. And so he says, J- just, just do it. We, we, can t- we can tend to spend more time talking about Christianity than actually being a Christian. And, and God convicted me on that in my life, and I sometimes worry for our church as well when I see that. We get so focused on what it looks like to look like a Christian than rather just to be one. And the last thing he says is not just, just do it, but I love, don't miss this most important part. He says keep it and what? And repent. Just do it. But here's the thing. Listen, don't miss this. Do it different. Do, do, do it different. But what do I mean? Re- repent means to change your mind, the way you think about it. It's a change in thought and action. It doesn't mean go back to praying just to pray. It means change your thought concept on prayer. Like, I'm not just going to do prayer more and do it the way I've always done because that's what I'm supposed to do. I need to think completely different about this. This is about a conversation with God, not me just checking my box and say I did it. 
I'm not just going to read my Bible because that's what I'm to do and I need to dig in deeper. No, I need to do it because, like, this is God's word to me to change and transform my life. I need to repent and change my actions with it. I, I came to understand real quick what repentance was in my life uh, about 10 years ago when I used to struggle with an addiction at looking at images that consumed me. And for years and years and years, I told myself I was going to change. I'm going to stop this habit. No one knew my secret sin, man. I'm going to stop this sort of thing. I'm going to fix it. And guess what? I found myself falling into the same patterns. Even though my thoughts was different, my attitude did not change on seeing how sick I was with my sin. And finally, the day came where I was so fed up, and I found myself confessing to my wife and said, I'm struggling. And by the grace of God, she continued to stand by my side and show me love. But what she said to me this day, the biggest thing that changed in me was my attitude towards it. I was sick of it. I began to clean house of everything in my life that would cause me to sin, cause me to stumble. I began putting on barriers in my life because, listen, I, something's going to change. My attitude, I'm, I'm doing it different. I'm not going to do the same thing that has caused me to fall time and time again. It's going to be different this time. I, I, I repented. And for us coming to God... It's not just doing what he says like we've always done it. It's sometimes repenting and saying, God, I've been doing it wrong. I, I just want you. Everything in Scripture comes back to confession with the Lord. Confess that I'm a sinner and what I've done has been against you. And so he says this. He says, wake up. My, my plea to you, listen, here, here's the thing. Wake up before it's too late. To, to the church specifically, you know what the threat is here? God is going to remove his lampstand from them. Do you know what that means for them? It means God's going to remove his presence from this church and no longer give us a stamp of approval and say, that, that's my church, I'm a part of that. For us as believers, I don't believe we can lose our salvation. It just does not line up with what I understand to be the gospel. But it causes the question, man, was the gospel ever really evident in my life in the first place? Wake up. I, I love what he says, if we do, verse 4 and 5, and I promise you we're close to done. He says, if we do, he says, and, and those who do, he says, they will walk with me in white. I, I love a relationship with the Lord. Like, you'll find me, you'll walk with me, you'll feel pure, you'll feel cleansed. And he says in verse 5, in the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes. Listen, I will never erase his name from the book of life. And the most interesting thing about this passage is how it ends in verse 6. Listen to what he says. He says, let anyone who has ears to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, listen. He's speaking to all the churches. He's not just talking to Sardis. He's talking to all the churches. He's like, listen, any of you guys that hear this, this is your wake-up call. What are you going to do with this information? So, so what happens to Sardis? Do, do they change? Do they wake up? Or do they still sleepwalk through their faith? Can, can I tell you what we know? We, we don't know. We don't entirely know. We don't have record of the church anymore, but can I tell you about their history alone that probably preludes to what's going on? We, we do know in their history in 600 BC, they become so arrogant about their position, they couldn't be attacked. The king of Sardis was attacked by the Persians. What happened is one night, a, a, literally a, one soldier climbed up the back of the mountain they said was impenetrable, went to the front, opened up the gates, and let the armies in. They, they said it was so easy, a child could have done it, but they were so arrogant believing they could never be conquered. This happened 600 BC. You know what happened 300 years later, after they reestablished themselves? The exact same thing. They were conquered again. History has a way of repeating ourselves when we really don't come and snap out of it. I, I don't know what's going to happen with you. I don't know what's going to happen with me. 
But I know if I don't snap out of it and start really pursuing the Lord for myself, listen, it's easy to fall into routine and rhythm and forget about God. If Satan can't get you away from God, he will get you busy with the things of God so that you neglect God. So wake up. And God, God in my time, showed me that. Like, Eric, listen, you've done a lot of great things here, but you forgot about me. It's time to wake up. And when you come back to your church, listen, we, we need to make sure we look at our ministries and say, what, what are we doing? Have we forgot what we're here about? We're not a cruise ship. We're a warship. We're not here for comfort. We're not here for, for just, man, enjoy the entertainment. We're here to conquer and win souls for the kingdom of God. We're here to accomplish the Great Commission. So what are we going to do if we forget that? And so today, I don't know what God's stirring in our church's heart, your heart. It may just be me preaching to myself again today. I'm okay with that. But I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And so I'm going to ask if you just bow your heads and close your eyes and just take a second. Allow God to look into your heart and, and ask God this question. Be honest with him. Say, God, am I sleepwalking right now? I'm about to have elders come and make themselves available and other leadership. So if you want to respond, you have an opportunity to do that. And maybe just for accountability's sake here in a minute, you're going to need to come up and say, listen, I feel like I need sleepwalking. Can you just pray for me? Can you encourage me? Can you give me some accountability? Maybe today you're going to need to sit in your seat and pray for our church specifically. That we don't become a church that looks like it's alive but really is dead. And we forget about God in the process of what we're doing. So I'll leave you this one question before I pray over you. Ask God this, how do you want me to respond today? It's the only thing I ask. I'm going to pray for you. You'd be faithful to fall through with whatever God just laid on your heart. When you respond, we have elders up here available, J.D. and Bradley and Pete. And in the back, we have uh, Dee and Steve, Riley, they'll be, love, they'll be happy to, and the Waylands will be happy to pray with you, encourage you. You do that. Let me pray for you. Father God, God, thank you for getting my attention. God, thank you for blowing up my schedule. Uh, I, I didn't come back with like some amazing life transformation thing. I just, I just need to wake up. I thank you for what you did in my life and, and how you... you you mess up every single plan I had, and you put yours in place. God, now, selfishly, I pray you do that for other people out here. Not everyone gets up to me for sabbatical, and I wish they did. But, God, they don't need a sabbatical to, to, to get that message today. So, God, get their attention. I don't know what that looks like right now for each individual person. For some, it may be a small tug in their heart, maybe conviction, guilt. I don't know what it is right now that you need to do to get your attention, but God, I just pray you do it. You do. I pray for courage to get up here in a second, to come and talk to one of our leaders up front or in the back, whether it be just ask for prayer, to be accountable for what you've laid on their heart, or maybe it's salvation. Some realize today that I, I don't know this Jesus Eric's talking about. And today's the day they need to come respond in faith put their trust in Jesus Christ. I pray you'd make that, uh, make them aware of that in their life. 
So God, stir in us, call us to action right now. Thank you for who you are. Use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to do this. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand. Uh, if you stand, we're going to worship together. And as you stand, your, your first step coming up right now, as soon as the music starts playing, you need to come up to one of these guys up here, one in the back who are ready more than happy to catch you and help you and walk you through that sort of stuff. Maybe you're terrified to do that. Grab the person next to you. There's a stranger. Be ready. Stranger, they're going to grab your arm and say, hey, would you pray for me? Would you come with me? Whatever you got to do to get the confidence to do it. But don't leave here today saying, I'll do that next week because next week will never come. It will always get pushed off. Choose today. So that being said, let's worship together and you respond.